0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Kerry Smith. I'm one of the pastors here at Freedom Village. Um, our, our lead pastor, Pastor James, just went on vacation. He left on Tuesday. And so he safely arrived in, uh, where did he go? He went to Georgia, right? Um, so hopefully he doesn't get COVID because uh, I only planned for two sermons this summer. So <laughs> all right. Um, last week we talked about love one another, we're, we're talking through, or we're preaching to, through, or, or learning through uh, the one another series. Um, and we looked at exactly what exactly love one another means, uh, and specifically the difference between the commandment in the Old Testament and the one that Jesus gives to his disciples during the Last Supper, let me just do a quick refresher. Leviticus nineteen eighteen says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Sounds familiar, right? Jesus referred to this verse when he was asked what the greatest commandment in the law is. And the first he said was, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and then he he re, he he quotes this. He says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." And last week we saw that the word for neighbor literally means everyone you come into contact with. But we also saw last week you're all getting a rain warning. It's supposed to rain this afternoon. <laughs> um, we also saw last week that this Old Testament command is actually very different than the love one another command. That Jesus gives, uh, which we see in John 13, 14. This is the one he gives to his disciples um, right before the Last Supper when they're in the upper room. He says, Love one another just as I have loved you. So he's calling his followers to a higher standard of love. He's he's referring to uh, the, the one another he's referring to here also is not actually everyone you come into contact with like uh, the love one another as yourself, but now he's referring to other believers. And we've been commanded to love literally everyone we come into contact with as we love ourselves, but he's commanding his followers here to love each other with the same love that he, Jesus, has shown to them. And his love is agape love, meaning the highest form of love, the kind of love that the Father has for the world. God's love is sacrificial. The Father sent his Son, and his Son gave his life for us. God's love is driven by grace. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In 1 John 4, we're told that God is love. He is our standard, our example, and the one that we ultimately learn from when it comes to knowing how to love. So the next one another that I want to look at this morning, um, it starts with love. It says in Galatians 5.13, through love, serve one another. So we know that God is our standard for love. We can only learn about what true love is from him. And last week I read a passage, the passage on love from 1 Corinthians. I think we all know it really well. But I want to read it again, and this is from the NIV this time. And it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So the one another command that we're looking at today is basically saying, through love, which is patient and kind and does not envy or boast and is not proud, etc., 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 serve one another. Serve one another in this way. But I want to back up a little bit to... The beginning of our main passage in Galatians 5.13, because context is always important when we're trying to understand scripture. So it says in verse 13, at the very beginning, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There's There's our main text there. So when we look at the context here, there's actually a lot more going on. And Paul is telling the Galatian church, Christ has set you free. Don't use that freedom to serve yourselves. Use it to serve others. Instead of being selfish, be generous in all areas of your life. And then the next verse, verse 14 says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So verse 15 uses another one another, um, but it's not a command, it's a warning. Paul is very much concerned with how the Galatian church are treating each other. And it doesn't sound like good things are happening when we read this verse. In fact, the Galatian church is having some major issues and so Paul is trying to help bring unity by pointing them to what Christ has done for them. And because of Christ's work on the cross, because of what he's done, because they are set free, they are now called to live out that freedom just as we are. And how do they do that? They do that by being obedient to Christ, And what does Jesus point to as one of the most fundamental commands? He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of the issues of the Galatian church is that they had been divided over whether or not to be circumcised. This was very important in the Old Covenant. If you were a Jewish male, you were circumcised. If you were a Jewish female, you made sure that your children were circumcised. But things have changed under the new covenant. Jesus has changed everything, actually. Um, Jews and Gentiles are becoming Christians. And and the Jews are saying, wait, we're still children of God. We need to follow the law. And Paul is saying, you want to follow the whole law? Great. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Stop being divided over this, he says. It's time to move on. Instead of using your freedom in Christ for self-indulgence, which here is being expressed in arguing with each other and, and Paul says devouring each other, instead of using your freedom in Christ for that, let's use it to serve one another in love. So what does that look like practically? How do we serve one another in love? Well, before I get to that, I want to look at how we approach serving. And in order to serve well, in order to love well even, we need to start with humility. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Peter says, clothe yourselves in humility toward one another, another one another command. In other words, the same, in the same way that we put on a shirt to start the day, we put on humility before we approach each other. Not faking it, but embracing it. One commentator says that Peter, in this passage, may have been referring to Jesus in the upper room when he clothed himself with a towel before he washed the disciples' feet. He was literally clothing himself with humility because that was the servant's job. He, the Messiah, was lowering himself in order to teach the disciples the meaning of humility. We're actually going to talk about this more later, but I bring up humility because, because of the importance of it. And we looked at humility last week as well. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul recognizes the disunity in the Ephesian church and he calls them to first have an attitude of humility, gentleness, patience, to bear with one another, which means to make allowance for each other's faults, and then to maintain the spirit of unity. Sorry, maintain the unity of the Spirit. In Colossians uh, chapter three, Paul says, put on then as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And so each time Paul asks the church to step up, to be unified, to forgive each other. He does it by first calling them to start with an attitude of humility. And then in verse 14, he tells them, oops, I'm really bad with this thing, by the way. Um, Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And that's where our passage starts today. It says, through love, serve one another. Um, but I want to keep looking at humility a little bit more here. The church has given other commands related to humility as well. And several of these are actually within the context of serving. In Romans 12, verse 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul's calling the church to humility here. And then in the next verse, in verse four, he says, for as in one body we have many members and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So he's calling them to humble themselves and then to serve. Let's look at another passage. Philippians 2, this is Paul again. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Similar to what we just read in Romans 12. Verse 4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul is trying to point the church to humility, and he's doing it in the context of serving. He's pointing the church to serve one another, and he's also giving them and us too the ultimate example of servanthood: Jesus. Jesus modeled what humility, servanthood, and love looks like to the point of death on the cross. Peter starts with with love. And he says in in 1 Peter 4, verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So last week, we also looked at how we are unified in Christ. We are commanded to maintain the unity that God has initiated in us. And we are commanded to love, right? In, in Colossians 3, Paul says that love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the key to unity. And here in First Peter, Peter says in verses 8, 9, and 10, love each other deeply, offer hospitality to each other, and use your gifts to serve each other. Earlier in 1 Peter chapter four, Peter has been urging the believers in Asia Minor to avoid the debauchery that the pagans are participating in. And now he's saying that they can move past those things, past the sins that used to have a hold on them because of love. They've moved from sin, selfishness, self-focus to love, community, outward focus. And that outward focus is is expressed in serving others with the unique gifts that God has created us with. And Peter says, do these things. Why? Verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified. Our goal in life, if we call ourselves believers, is to glorify God in everything that we do. Both Peter and Paul are calling believers to first surrender, surrender ourselves, surrender self-focus, self-obsession, and to humble ourselves, regard others as more important than yourselves, Paul says in Philippians 2. Why? Because that was Jesus' example to us. Jesus' goal was to glorify the Father, In John 17, we read one of Jesus' prayers to the Father. He says in verse four, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And we've been given work to do too, right? In Matthew 28, uh, verse 19 says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. My younger self thought, that's a pretty big task. I'm not sure if I can do that on my own. But we're not supposed to do it on our own. We're supposed to do it together as the church. Sure, we have individual conversations with people we know. We pray for our family and friends who aren't believers. But the hands, the feet, the eyes, the ears, the mouth, on and on and on, are the body of Christ, us. Us the church. And it's always been that way. God wanted Israel to be his open arms to the world, um, but now it's the church. And again, last week I talked about Jesus's command to love one another. Let me read that verse again in John 13. It says, starting in verse 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then in verse 35 he says, but By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Part of making disciples is showing what a disciple of Jesus is. And like we talked about last week, disciples of Jesus have a special bond because we are united in Christ. And we are called to maintain that bond, maintain that unity uh, with humility and with love. And we're commanded to love one another as Christ loves us. It's a pretty high standard. And why are we called to do that? Well, first of all, because God is love. And if we're his disciples, then love is what the disciples of the God of love do. And secondly, in loving each other as Christ loves us, we're doing the work that he's given us to do. And if we're doing the work that he's given us to do, then we're glorifying God with our lives. And if we're glorifying God with our lives, then Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. We're showing the world what a disciple of Jesus is, what it means to live for God, what it means to be a human being created in his image, living in the way that he created us to live. And that might, be, might not be exactly how we make disciples, but it's definitely the beginning of the process. How, can, how else can anyone come to know and serve Jesus if we're not showing people how to know and serve Jesus? And we serve Jesus by serving each other. A few weeks ago, Pastor James shared about the importance of forgiving one another. He shared that forgiving one another also requires humility. And one of the things that he pointed to was Jesus washing his disciples' feet. John thirteen four through five says, he got up from his meal, took off the outer clothing, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And then skipping down to verse 12, it says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Why does Jesus, the disciples, teacher, and Lord, wash their feet? When you think about it, it's, it's almost shocking. This was the job of the host servant. But the Messiah got down on his knees, and however long it took, he washed 24 dirty, stinky feet, including the feet of Judas, who he knew was going to betray him. How many of us here would wash the feet of someone we knew who was going to have us killed? If we back up a little bit, verse one of this passage says, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, and this is where he washes their feet. Jesus loved his disciples, and he demonstrates his love by washing their feet. His love is expressed with action. And even if he doesn't consider Judas a disciple anymore, he's already taught in his Sermon on the Mound, which we can read in Luke chapter 6, but I say to you here, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Jesus demonstrates his love for his disciples by serving them. Serving is really an outward expression of love. It's a natural expression of the love in our hearts. And Jesus knew that he was leaving his disciples soon and that his ministry on earth was coming to an end. And so he's making sure that his disciples understand how to carry on his ministry when he leaves. And really, he's accomplishing several things here. First, he's expressing his love for his disciples in the act of washing their feet, then he's, he's trying to explain to them metaphorically what he's about to do on the cross, that he's about to die for their sins, to literally wash away their sins with his blood. And we also see this symbolism in the bread and the wine later on. He teaches them to remember what he's about to do by practicing what we now call communion. And we're going to practice communion next week. And then he's also teaching them how to serve one another, that it requires humility, that when you see something that needs to be done, you do it, even if you think it's below you. In this case, there was no one to wash anyone's feet. Uh, It would have been the servant's job, and yet Jesus, their Lord and teacher, does not consider it beneath him. Jesus understood humility, even to the point of death on a cross. And he wants his disciples to understand this kind of humility. So he demonstrates it for them. And he urges them to continue to do this for each other. In verse 14 it says, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. So, There's a question that comes up when we read these verses and it's why aren't we all washing each other's feet? Um, I think there's a pretty good reason that we don't wash each other's feet. Do you know why they needed to wash their feet in the early first century? Um, In those days, everyone wore sandals and the roads were dirt roads and, and when it rained, they were muddy dirt roads. So when people went out, they had dirty feet. Um, the majority of us here don't wear sandals year-round, and we, we don't have dirt roads in most cities nowadays, so you can kind of see how this custom has disappeared. But you might think, doesn't Jesus clearly command his followers to wash each other's feet? And to that I would say, doesn't Peter command believers to greet each other with a holy kiss? Sometimes commands in the Bible aren't as straightforward um, as we would like them to be, and that can be confusing. Love one another is a pretty straightforward command, but sometimes commands are given as examples of how to apply more general principles rather than doing exactly what the command says. For example, in Deuteronomy 22, verse 8 says, When you build a new house, make a railing around your roof, so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. How many of us here have built a railing around our roof? Or how many of us here have built our own home? (laughs) It's very easy for us to read that and say, well, that was the Old Testament, so it's not really relevant anymore. But I would argue that the principle behind this command is still important today because the principle behind this command is to love your neighbor as yourself. So maybe you haven't built your own house, um, but you can still watch out for the safety of others. If you have a car, you can drive it safely, right? If you're at a concert and someone falls down, you can help them back up. There's a million ways to apply love your neighbor as yourself. Peter says to greet other believers with a kiss of love, but we don't do that today either. Um, in New Testament times, kissing was a, a way to greet someone. And, and it seems odd to most of us today, but you can still find it in European and, and Latin cultures, Latino cultures. Um, but I want us to see, what I want us to see, though, is that Peter's command is not, if you're a Christian, you have to kiss each other. His command is more about the principle behind the command, And the principle behind the command involves the way that a Christian greets another Christian. By the way, it's not just Peter saying this. Paul also tells the Roman, Corinthian, and Thessalonian churches to do the same thing. So Peter and Paul's point is not that Christians need to greet each other with a kiss. Their actual point was to show that believers are all equally accepted in Christ, A major issue in the New Testament church was the the tension between Jews and non-Jews. And in Peter and Paul's day, a kiss on the cheek implied friendship or acceptance. So maybe most of us here today aren't familiar uh, with greeting each other with a kiss. Maybe it's not an acceptable way to greet each other. Um, But we can still show acceptance for each other with other kinds of warm greetings, I know COVID has kind of messed that up a little bit, um, but a hug, a handshake, some kind words, those are things that we can greet each other with, right? And my point is, just because a command in the Bible doesn't seem relevant does not mean that it, it isn't relevant today. There's always an underlying principle that we can take away from these commands. And so in the same way, the principle behind Jesus' command to wash each other's feet is really the point here. This was a common practice in Jesus' day, and we may not follow this practice today, but we do need to follow the principle behind it, which is to humble ourselves and to serve one another. I'd like to read Romans 12 again, starting in verse four. Paul says, "'For as in one body,' We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. God has blessed each of us with different gifts, and those gifts complement the gifts of other believers in the church. Each of us have a role to play in the body of Christ. Paul says to the Corinthian church, There are different kinds of gifts. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone is the same God at work. We each have a role to play. You may not know what your gifts are yet, and that's okay. The command is not for us to first figure out what your gift is and then where you perfectly fit in your church body before you can serve. No. The command is simply serve one another. Start small. Start with one of these cards. This is a serve card. Um, There's a big list on here on the back uh, of ways to serve at Freedom Village, If you have no idea where to start, pick a couple of these out and and try them out. Often we don't figure out our gifting until we we try. If you wanna know more about um, where we need volunteers the most, come talk to me after the service. And all of you you guys know that our, our congregation is a little different. We have a unique church body here where um, our congregation is constantly changing. There's people in and out. And so that means that our needs here are constantly changing. And a lot of our congregation is traveling right now, watching online. If you're watching online, fill out a digital, connect car, uh, digital serve card. Uh, you can find that at freedomvillage.church. So trust me, everyone here and online needs to be serving in some capacity. Even if it's just once a month, even if it's just once every three months, um, the more people that serve, the less burden for everyone. But whether it's a burden or not, we're commanded to serve each other through love. Paul sa- uh, Serve each other through love, Paul says, as we've seen. And when the church is serving one another, it will overflow into our community. We just got through COVID and we haven't been able to serve our community for for quite a while. But that's about to change. There's a lot of things that the leaders are talking about right now. Missions trips, community outreach, disaster relief is even something that's on the table. If you want to serve on a missions trip, trip, write it down. If you you have an idea on how to serve, write it down. You can write it down on here and, and put it in the back box there. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 12 through 14 says, "'Just as a body, though one, has many parts, "'but all its many parts form one body, "'so it is with Christ. "'For we were all baptized by one Spirit "'so as to form one body, "'whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, "'and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. "'Even so, the body is not made up of one part,' but of many. We all have a role to play as the body of Christ. Sometimes it takes a little time to figure out exactly what that is. But we, we all have to start somewhere, right? So if you're not really sure, take a card with you, take it home, pray, pray, pray about it. I just ask that we take this command seriously at Freedom Village. Just like the command to love one another, serve one another is not an option. This is how the body of Christ functions. I want to read one more verse. 1 Peter 4, verses 10, verses 10 and 11 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.